Well, we are in Genesis chapter 45, and we will be covering the chapter. I was considering going a little bit further, but there's enough in here. We'll keep us busy for a night. So we see that Joseph is now, in this chapter, he is finally free to reveal himself to his brothers. Now, keep this in mind. It's been over a year since he first saw them, and he's had to keep all this bottled up inside him. And then, of course, they prolonged their their stay instead of coming, turning around and coming right back and getting Simeon. So this has been even longer. But he knows that once they come on back that he can reveal himself after after accomplishing everything. He's got to be excited. There's got to be great anticipation on him. But he still keeps his sights on the goal of what God told him to do. He's got that mission there in front of him. But we're going to see some things from Joseph's response that will teach us some things. We're going to see something from Pharaoh's response that you may not have noticed that will teach us some things. And we'll also see some things from Jacob's response and what we can learn from that. Now we saw that Joseph had a assignment given to him. That he had to seek after God to understand what the assignment was. He had to pursue in for a deeper meaning. Once he got it, even though his emotions were tearing him apart, even though his emotions were taking him in a way to go against what God told him to do, he stayed with it. I asked you the question, how would you have done if God gave you this and your emotions are pulling at you the way they were probably pulling at Joseph? Would you have been able to stick with the plan? Would you have been able to stick with what God told you to do, stay with the assignment? We're not looking at a couple of days. We're looking at over a year having to stay with this and his emotions being torn up going to bed at night time and thinking, will I see my brothers again? What if I never get a chance to, to, to see them? Now, according to God, he would be able to, to accomplish all this. But you know, just because we feel that God led us that way doesn't mean that your mind doesn't start tearing, up, tearing at you. You lost your one opportunity. You had an opportunity to, to get things right with your family, to see your family, and it's gone now. They're not coming back. So all that kind of stuff is going through. Joseph is a person. He's wrestling with this. So he has that extra time to wrestle with this. And then his brothers come back. I'll tell you, if Joseph is like most people. He was probably feeling the temptation. Let's just scrap this whole thing. Let's just get this family put back together again. And let's just go. But Joseph didn't. And you can see why God treated him with the respect that he did. Because Joseph treated God with the respect and he stayed with the plan. He didn't go with his emotions. What a tough thing this had to be for Joseph. And we'll see a whole lot of that here in this chapter. In verse 1, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? Brothers, brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. So after all this, chapter where the chapter forty-four ended, his brothers are all upset. They make the the plea: Please don't take Benjamin; take me instead. And they're willing to give their life for the life of of, of Benjamin. And he sees these folks have made a change. He knows they've made a change, but now the brothers know. They have been put to the test. They have made the change. They are no longer the same people. And so Joseph says, get everyone out of the room. Now, we read this in English. This did not happen in English. When Joseph says, get everyone out of the room, he says this in Egyptian. He speaks to them in their language. He gets everyone out of the room. That means the translators. Now, what are you thinking if you're Joseph's brothers? This man has been speaking to you through the translator, and he dismisses everyone out of the room. That means the translator is gone. And you are now with someone that you can't communicate with. Your mind begins to process this sort of stuff. They don't know it's Joseph. As far as they can tell, he is hostile to them. you, you got to wonder, what's going through the brothers' minds right now? And Joseph puts them all out. Make everyone go out for me. They may not have understood what he said because it's in Egyptian. 
I have found nothing that tells me that the brothers understood Egyptian. So he says, make everyone go out for me. And then all of a sudden everybody starts leaving. So if you don't know the language and you are in the room and the man who's mad with you says something in Egyptian and all of a sudden everyone leaves. What are you thinking? So he makes everyone go out from him. Joseph doesn't say a word until everyone is gone. And now they're gone. And Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? This is not Egyptian. This is Hebrew. The man who's been in front of him, who's been speaking through him through an interpreter all this time, says an Egyptian, get out of the room. They don't understand what he says. They're standing there in his presence, and then all of a sudden, he speaks to them in perfect Hebrew. That's got to blow their minds. I am Joseph. This is not how they expected to see Joseph. If they ever expected to see Joseph, he was a slave. Slaves don't become rulers in Egypt. They just don't do that. He's Beside that, he's not Egyptian. How is a non-Egyptian running the country? How is the guy we sold into slavery running the country? So this, this is, they don't expect to see Joseph here. Their, their minds have got to be blown. What do you mean you're Joseph? Have you just heard about our story and you're trying to throw something at us here? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. They couldn't talk. None of them could talk. They're just stunned. But he puts the whole group out of him, out of there. In verse 4, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now look at the things that are going on here on this. First off, we're going to see something about true forgiveness. And I wrote them down. You don't have to fill in anything here. True forgiveness does not expose infractions and faults. He puts everybody out of the room. I'm not here to expose you guys. I'm not here to embarrass you guys. I'm not here to humiliate you guys. And I'm not here to elevate myself in lowering others. Sometimes people, they say they walk in forgiveness, but what they do is they elevate themselves and lower you. That's not true forgiveness. And people have, if they've done that to you, they're not walking in true forgiveness. And sometimes that can stir up feelings in us as well. Don't, don't, don't be moved by that. That's not how God forgives. When God forgives, He does not embarrass you. He does not try and put you down. He's not out there to expose you and to make everybody see. Everybody see who this person is? He's not out there to do that. That's not God. If that's not what God does, that's not what we are to do. Person's going to walk in true forgiveness. They don't go around telling, well, uh, that person did this and this and this to me, but I forgave them. Uh-huh. True forgiveness does not expose infractions and faults, embarrass or humiliate and elevate myself in lowering others. And you see this modeled in Joseph because he kicks everybody out of the room. True forgiveness looks to first off restore. First thing of true forgiveness that it wants to do is it wants to restore. The first thing that God wants to do when he wants to bring us into a place of true forgiveness, he wants to restore us to where we were. If that's God's goal, that has to be our goal. If I am going to walk in true forgiveness, then I need to walk, work towards restoring. I am not working towards restoring if I have to tell everybody what I went through, what they did to me, how great it was of a, of a thing it was for me to endure. Nope, we're here to restore. That's the first, first thing. True forgiveness looks to restore. True forgiveness looks to reinvigorate. We want to energize that person. We want to help that person move on, go on. Not to, not to be hung up in that thing anymore. And secondly, true forgiveness looks 
to relax. Joseph here in the end of verse 4, he says, please come near to me. He sees them down there, they're speechless. He's up probably in an elevated area. He comes down to him, come on, come here. Trying to get them to relax. Trying to get them to, this is what true forgiveness will do. If you want to see whether you're walking in true forgiveness, make sure these things are at, at play. Now, Joseph has not just come to forgive his brothers. This has not just happened today. This, this did not just happen this week. He has not just forgiven his brothers because he saw their repentance, because he saw their change of heart. That has nothing to do with the forgiveness that Joseph has given to his brothers. His attitude of forgiveness was settled long ago. He did this a while back. He opened himself up to being used by God to restore them because he had already walked in forgiveness to them. And I can prove it to you from this chapter. We'll show it to you here in just a little bit. We haven't quite got that far. If you put off getting ready to forgive until you are in a position to forgive, your forgiveness will more than likely be more flesh than spirit. You need to have yourself in a position, in an attitude to forgive way before you get into position to do it. Now, it doesn't mean that you restore until they ask. But I'm in a position to do this way before they ever come. I've already dealt with my emotions. I already dealt with myself in this. And so when they come, and I am now in a position to offer forgiveness, all those flesh emotions are already done. They're gone. And I'm not dealing with them. If I have not dealt with them and someone comes to me, more than likely, most of what I'm going to do in the area of forgiveness and restoration is going to be flesh-oriented. I'm going to do some things to embarrass. I'm going to do some things to elevate myself. I'm going to do some things that will humiliate them. They're going to, it's going to come out. I'm not saying the whole thing is, but I'm going to have some flesh that's going to work its way in there. you got to deal with this way before. So that when they come, my flesh is gone. Joseph's flesh, there's no flesh involved with Joseph here at all. Most of us, our flesh should be involved. These are the people who subjected me to 13 some odd years of slavery and imprisonment. But none of that is there. He is, he is struggling. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to love on them. He can't do it. So they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. I haven't forgotten what you did. <laughs> he's, he's let them know. But this, this is not a hang-up for me. Please understand. I know what happened. It's all right. I'm Joseph. We're good. Come on over here. But now, verse 5. Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. I'm not angry with you. Don't you be angry with yourselves. A lot of times, once we have realized that we have made an error, we have gone on the wrong way, and we need someone to forgive us, we a lot of times have a hard time forgiving ourselves. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve this. I know they could never love me the way they did before. I know life will never be like it was. And we have a real hard time just forgiving ourselves. Joseph knows that about them. He knows they're going to have a hard time with this. He's heard some of their conversation. Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Now Joseph talks to them about the dream that Pharaoh had and the interpretation that God gave to him. There's still five more years. Is this the first they heard that there is five more years of famine? If it's not the first time that they've heard this, is it the first time they had reason to believe it? Now put yourself in their situation. If you are the Joseph, if you are Joseph's brothers and you're back over there in Canaan, there's a guy down in Egypt who said there would be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. What guy? I don't know, some Egyptian. How did he get it? 
Oh, I don't know. Probably one of his gods. So how much stock are you putting in on it? If they heard it, they probably didn't believe it. Because they don't know where it came from. See, this is the problem with a lot of Christians. I won't believe it until I know the human source. Well, that was brother so-and-so. Well, I don't like brother so-and-so. I'm not going to believe that. And we, we've, we've written it off. What we have to learn to do as Christians is I've got to be tapped into my spirit that when I hear something that comes in my spirit, does my spirit verify it? Because if they followed after God and they heard about this, this, this dream and this interpretation that came, and if there was any spiritual head of the household, Jacob or any of the sons, if any of them were actually a spiritual head of the household and they would go to God, God, is this true? Would that not have altered the way they faced this circumstance? I think it would have. But we don't see that. So if they did hear it, they didn't believe it. They may, they may not have heard it, but the way that things traveled back then, it would seem this would have gotten out. Because Egypt made no secret of it. Why is Joseph in charge? Well, Joseph had the dream, had the interpretation of the dream. What dream? And they tell the dream. So once you start that going, then as people come on in to buy food, how come you guys have food? Well, Pharaoh had this dream. And this guy got the interpretation of the dream. And just like he said, we had seven years of, of plenty and we put stuff away. And now according to that dream, we got seven years of, of famine. So this is going around. It would be really hard for me to believe that these guys did not know this dream existed and this interpretation came about. But they probably didn't believe it. Now, all of a sudden, let's just go on the assumption right now that they heard about the dream. All of a sudden, they're in the room with Joseph and Joseph is telling them the dream. And there's still five more years. Joseph, I mean, you believe this? We've heard this. You believe this? As far as they had known, this probably came from some pagan god. And here, Joseph is telling us, we know Joseph. Joseph was more spiritual than any of us were. How does it that Joseph believes this? That'd be my, what's going through my head. You see, when you have bitterness or selfish attitudes, it will keep your spiritual eyes and ears blind and deaf. That, that selfishness that Jacob had, the bitterness that Jacob had, the bitterness that the brothers had, this stuff, when you allow that in your life, it will keep you spiritually deaf and blind. That when they heard it, God may have been sending them a witness, this is true, this is right, this is what's coming. And they shut it down because of the bitterness and because of the selfish attitudes they had. That's why we got to keep those things out. But for us, many times the source will help or hinder. My wife does this to me all the time. <laughs> she will, she'll hear something on YouTube. She'll see something on Facebook and she won't tell me who said it. What she'll do is she'll say, what do you think about this? Now, I know her ways, and I know she, she doesn't want me to know the source, because if I know the source, I'm going to do something. I'm going to jump the... <laughs> so, now, it could be a good source, it could be a bad source. There are some sources, you know, there's some, some wells, they just never have any good water. And she knows, I've made it very vocal, that's one of the wells I don't think has any good water to it. I don't go to the well. There's a, there are just certain people out there that I've, I've heard enough times, I don't go to that well anymore. Uh, oh, it's so... No, I'm, I'm away. I've turned off the source because the source taps into things that that they don't have the same respect for the word that I do. I will put it to you that way. If anyone, I don't care what their background is, if they don't have the respect for the word in which the word rules everything, I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time with them. 
Because there's a lot of people out there, they get something in the Spirit. Yeah, but the Word says this. Yeah, I know, but I have this in the Spirit. All right, we're done. Because to me, if I get something in the Spirit and it disagrees with the Word, I don't say a word about it until I figure out how they work, work together. I don't talk about it at all. I may have it, I'll stew in it, I'll chew in it, I'll go over it, I'll go over it, but I won't say a word to anybody until I bring those two things together. Of course, for me, the word, word rules. If I get something in the Spirit and it does not line up with the Word, until I can figure out how it goes, I don't, I don't do that. But anyway, she'll, she'll throw this out there. What do you think of this? And she'll say it to me. And so I'm hearing it and says, well, that goes against the Word of God on this. And she goes, yep, that's what I thought too. I mean, we have that conversation so often. <laughs> and then I'll say, well, who said it? So and so? Oh, alright, yeah. That's why you didn't tell me. Because <laughs> I would, I would have jumped to the conclusion, nothing good comes from that well. And so, uh, but they, they told me the thing and, uh, it was very wordy, very flowery. Very often they're, they're this way, but there's no substance to it. So here's the thing. I've got to get to the place where regardless of who said it, I can tell whether there's substance to it or not. Nope, there's no substance to that. I'm not going to put any, any stock to it. Well, wait a minute. I don't know who said that, but you know what? That lines up with the Word of God. I need to find out more what they're saying on this thing. And then we, we pursue it. But you see, they may have written this off because it came from Egypt. We don't need to put any more thought to this. It came from Egypt. Verse 7. This, these two verses. These are something. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Put this in your outline. I want you to write this down and get this. God's planned plan to send Joseph to Egypt are a part from the dream's scope or purpose. The dream that Joseph had that he shared with his brothers had absolutely nothing to do with the plan of God and Joseph going to Egypt. Nothing to do with it. So much of Joseph's life and his purpose, we focus around the dream. But Joseph tells you right here in these two verses, this is why I was sent. And none of that is in the dream. So what you're going to see is the entire purpose of Joseph's life that he puts in these two verses is completely apart from the dream. The dream is about him being a ruler and about the brothers coming and then the brothers and the parents coming. That's the dream. There's nothing in there about preserving them. There's nothing in there about food. There's nothing in there about saving their posterity. Saving their, nothing in there at all. But here, this is Joseph. He's summarizing his purpose. He's, he's thought about this for a lot of years. God has, has uh, witnessed this to him. And he says, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God knew that something was coming to wipe you guys out. And in order to head it off, He sent me here to Egypt. Imagine that. It's not in a dream. Not in a dream at all. The dream is completely apart from the purpose that God has for him. Joseph had to find that purpose elsewhere. And he found it. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler throughout all all the land of Egypt. Joseph already knows this. A long time ago he came to this conclusion. So if he had this conclusion a long time ago, there is no reason for him to be bitter to his brothers. Because his brothers didn't do it. God says, look, your brothers did this and it was, I know it it was evil, but... I've got a plan for having you here in Egypt. However you get here is fine. But I have a plan for having you here in Egypt. And that plan, you're going to save your family. And you're going to save the purpose that I have for your family. 
and I'm going to use you for it. Somewhere down the road, and we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find this out. Somewhere down the road, Joseph came to the conclusion that God has me here in this country for a purpose. That had to come before he was elevated out of the prison. He had to know that before he was elevated out of the prison. So before he is, he's in the prison and he knows God has sent me here for a purpose and he, whether he knew all that he has in here, but he knew that God sent him here for a purpose. He knew I am here because God has me here for a purpose. How much easier would it be for you if you were Joseph to go through the years of slavery and the years of imprisonment if you knew that God had you there for a reason? Now, a lot of times Christians might hear God has a purpose for me being here, but it's going to involve me being a slave for a while and me being in prison for a while. And we'll say, get thee behind me, Satan. I am the head and not the tail. I will prosper. <laughs> we'll throw out all these verses of Scripture and, and things in that way. But, but Joseph accepted it. Okay, God, you have me here. Um, you have me here for a time. And basically, God can, I don't care where you are in there. I will move you to the place I need you. That is coming. doesn't matter where the enemy wants to put you. In the meantime, I know exactly where you are and I'll come get you. And he had Pharaoh go and send him, send Joseph, bring him one up here. But he knew he was there for a purpose. And he knew the reason he was there was not because the brothers put him there. Can you see why this is so much easier for Joseph to walk in forgiveness? You guys didn't do it. I'm here for a reason. And I'm here to help you. Boy, it's a whole lot easier to go through all that if you, if you knew it, wouldn't it? So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Boy, if we could see the hand of God instead of the hand of people messing up our lives our lives would sure be a a lot easier. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. And you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine they were going to become poor. They were going to lose everything they had. And he says, uh, not anymore. You're not, going to, you're not going to come to poverty. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. There's no interpreter here. I'm talking to you directly. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. You shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. <laughs> Finally, they can talk. Remember, they were speechless. Now they can talk. He goes over and he hugs on all of them, kisses them, weeps over them. Finally, all that emotion that has been pinned up in him. And we begin to see that it's not emotion that that, oh, I'm so mad that they did this. It's a motion that says, oh, they have been going through so much. But God sent me here. Oh, I wish I could get to them. I wish I could tell them, you didn't do that. I, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a reason. And so we go back into the, the other chapters. We find out when Joseph first saw them, he wanted to tell them right then, guys, I hear what you're saying to each other, but you didn't do this. God sent me here ahead of you. But he couldn't do it. And we know that some of the reasons he had to withdraw himself and go is because all this emotion is in him. All this emotion is welling up in him. He loves these brothers. He's not angry with them. And he wants to let them know God had a plan and a purpose. Regardless of what you did, God was going to bring that plan about. Stop being hung up on what you did. It's all right. They're going home. Talk to dad. 
bring them down here. Now look at verse 16. It's verse 16, the more I've gone over this, this verse 16 amazes me. Because I don't know if I was Joseph that verse 16 would have happened. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. That statement stuns me. Absolutely stuns me. If Pharaoh knew the story of Joseph and the story of his brothers and what they had done to him, would Pharaoh be pleased that they were here? This is, this is his right-hand man. This is the guy who saved the country. And his brothers are here who tried to kill him. If you were Pharaoh and you heard the story, would you get mad for Joseph? Joseph's not getting mad, but would you get mad for Joseph? Yeah, you would. And then all of a sudden you hear, the brothers are here. What? How many could see Pharaoh getting upset? All right, Joseph, you may not want to do something to these brothers, but what they did was wrong, and I will bring them to justice now. What this tells me is that in all the time that he was there with Pharaoh, and he's been there with Pharaoh for seven years, plus one year, plus two years. That's nine years he's been with Pharaoh. Thirteen years he was with Potiphar. In all that time, he never told the story in such a way that anyone would get mad at his brothers. That stuns me. Because if I am Pharaoh and I knew the story that happened to Joseph and I hear the brothers are here, I'm not pleased. If I am the servants, maybe I got a little bit more of the detail of the story. I am not pleased. I am angry for Joseph because they all have Loyalty to Joseph. They have no loyalty to the brothers. They don't even know who these people are. All they know about the brothers is what Joseph would have told them. What this tells me is that Joseph never told a bad story about the brothers. That shocks me. I don't know if I would have done that. <laughs> I don't know if I wouldn't have. Uh, so, well, you know what? The only reason I'm here is for my brothers, man. I'll tell you, like, stuff they did. And a lot of times we, we tell stories and we make ourselves look better than we, we did and the other people look worse. But Pharaoh's not done. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. In other words, if you can't fit it on the carts, leave it. We got better stuff for you down here. You have the best of the land. And here's all my carts, all these Egyptian carts, and all this Egyptian help. And I want you to make this big caravan. Go on back, get all your stuff, and bring it on down here. Now, this is a pharaoh's procession. The brothers are going back with a pharaoh's procession. Pharaoh's carts. And these things are elaborate. They're not just some little wooden things, you know, with four wheels. These are, these are going to make a scene. Take all this stuff, go back and get everything you got. Is he treating them in a way that he thinks poorly of these brothers? Not at all. He thinks highly of them. Highly of them. And that's because of Joseph. Because the only thing he knows about these brothers it's what Joseph has told him. Stuns me. That's a man who's been walking in forgiveness for a long time. 
He has had the attitude of forgiveness for his brothers for a long time. It's just him. Don't be concerned about your goods. Got plenty of stuff for you here. Then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh. And he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them. To each man changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Now he gave them changes of garments. What kind of changes of garments do you think they were? They're Egyptian. They're not Hebrew. They're not Canaanites. They gave them the best of the land that they have. They now go home with Egyptian garbs. Kind of like when we go on a travel somewhere. You know, if you go over to Spain, what do you do? You go over there and you buy a shirt that says Spain. You buy a hat that says Spain. Buy shoes made in Spain. <laughs> and we buy stuff that's made in that area. And we bring it on home with us and we show people, yeah, I got these shoes and I got these, <laughs> whatever it might be, came from Spain. So now they're all going, hi, ah, I've not seen, where did you get that? Egypt. And you know, they're not wearing stuff from Walmart. Mm-mm. We're looking at the best of the land of Egypt. They don't sell that in Walmarts. They don't sell that in the streets of Egypt. This is the best that Egypt have. He gave them changes of the garments that are the best. And that's what they were with. Benjamin, he gave him even more. Apparently, it didn't cause anybody any trouble. And he sent... Where did we leave off at? Verse 24. Go back. uh, Go back to verse 23. And he sent to his father these things. Ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, food for his father. For all the journey. So he sent his brothers away. And they departed. And he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Looked up that word troubled. It is the Hebrew ragaz, used about 40 times in the Old Testament. It means to, I wrote out the actual definition here for you, to quiver with any violent emotion, especially anger or fear. To be afraid, stand in awe, disquiet, fall out, fret, move, provoke, quake, rage, shake, tremble, or trouble. Shorter rendition of this would be to tremble, to quake, to rage, to quiver, to be agitated, to be excited, or be perturbed. In other words, this is what he's telling them. Everything feels real good right now. We're all kind of happy. But on your way, you're going to start to second guess yourselves. You're going to think back to that time when we were together and you came to that decision. You might be thinking about passing some blame. I told you I wanted to do this. It was your fault we did this. You may have gone back and forth on this. You may be troubled because right now you have to go back home and you got to tell Dad what happened. And that can get you a little agitated on the inside, a little fearful on the inside. He says to him. On your way home, see to it that you aren't troubled. Don't let this kind of stuff go on. What happened has happened. We're picking up and we're going on. The enemy is always going to try and use our past to try and agitate us and trouble us. Joseph knew this would come to them. He's concerned 
about the brothers. He knows this will hurt them. Don't get agitated. Don't be troubled. Don't try and come up with any other story. Just go to dad and you tell him I'm alive. You tell him I'm down here in Egypt. You tell him I am the ruler down here in Egypt. And you tell him to come on down here. I'm going to take care of him. We've got provisions for him. Verse 25, Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. Now Jacob, he's still waiting at home. You know he's thinking the worst. The whole time they're gone, you know what he's thinking. I'm going to lose Benjamin. Oh, I just know it. I'm going to lose Benjamin. And he comes out there to the road every day looking. Looking. I, I kind of get the New Testament picture of Jesus. We know he gives the parable. The father comes on out looking for the son. Except there's a whole different dynamic going on here. I'm thinking, I put myself in Jacob's shoes. You got to think like Jacob. You got to put yourself in that situation. You are looking. Every day you look out there. You're looking out the road. You're waiting for the, the brothers to, to come on back home. What are you looking for if you are Jacob? You were looking for Benjamin. That's it. You're not counting all the brothers to see if you got them all. I'm only looking for Benjamin. That's it. That's all he cares about. I'm not going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm not counting all the brothers. I don't care if there's an 11 there. I'm looking for one. Just one. Is Benjamin coming back? I don't care about Judah. If Simeon didn't make it, well, you know, it's, that's all right. Did they, maybe secondly, did they bring back some food? We got to feed the, the people that are here. Did they come back and they bring back some food? But really, if you are Jacob, all you are looking for is, is Benjamin in the group. And did they have any food? I wonder if the brothers are joking about this on the way home. Hey guys, who do you think he's, who do you think dad's looking for? I don't know if they were like this. If I was in the group, this is what we would have done. Benjamin, go in the back. Go in the back, all the way in the back. Simeon, you go back there too. We're just going to be us guys. Let's see what dad does. <laughs> I don't know that they did that. I don't know. I am telling you right now, I am not above having done that right there. That's, uh, <laughs> we would have been, um, let's all have long faces. Let's all look sad. But here he comes. Joseph is still alive and is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. Hmm. When you hear truth declared, should your spirit not bear witness with it? And what's it say about Jacob? He didn't believe it. He didn't believe it. I mean, if God can use Jacob as one of the one of the fathers of the faith, boy, stop putting yourself down. This boy doesn't seem to be able to tell truth from anything. I know he wrestled with the angel; he had that great little victory over there, but he hears the truth. His spirit should be saying, "That's right. That's right. That's right." Instead, he's saying, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Why? Because that's good. Nothing good ever happens for me. Always bad. Always bad. Is Benjamin there? Just tell me. Is Benjamin in the group? Did Benjamin make it back? But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry, and the spirit of Jacob their father revived, 
So he heard, but he didn't believe. But then he began to look and see all that they came back with because he knows what they left with. Now look what they came back with. Something happened. Many people are just like Jacob. They cannot discern the truth with what they hear. They can only discern it with what they see. In the words of Jesus, you believe because you see. Blessed are they who believe and have not seen. Boy, if Jacob was the kind of person who could believe because he heard. But he wasn't. He had to see. And when he saw, he decided, all right, I guess there is some truth to the words that you're speaking. But he couldn't hear it in the Spirit. This is not just true of them. We look at our current events, and we've talked enough about current events, but people should, down in their Spirit, be able to know what kind of health situations are out there and which kind are not. They should be able to know in their spirit, that's not jiving with me. I don't care what it is that I see. It's not jiving with me down in here. That's how we go. News people always want to put things out there for you. They want you to see. But you see, I just need to hear when I hear down in my spirit, does it verify it? Yeah, all right, then this is what we're going to go with. And that's the direction that we head in. Look at this last verse. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Hmm. What a day for Jacob. But what must he have been thinking of the events of the last year or so now, knowing that Joseph was behind them. What he now knows is the person who orchestrated all this stuff, keeping Simeon back behind, forcing Benjamin to make the trip, was all Joseph. Every bit of it was Joseph. Joseph has put me through, because this is how Jacob thinks, Joseph has put me through all this stuff. That was Joseph. He knew they weren't spies. He knew they were his brothers. And all that that Jacob does is he hears everything from how it affects Jacob. Joseph hears things for how it affects the purpose and plan of God. But that's not Jacob. Jacob is going to be thinking about all this, all that I've had to go through these last couple of years. It's for nothing. I didn't have to go through all that heartache. I didn't have to lose Benjamin for whatever time it was. Simeon didn't have to stay down there in prison. Because that's who Jacob is. But look at his statement. It is enough. I compare that statement to some other things that we heard. But it is enough. Most people look for life to give them what they want. Jacob is looking for life to give him things. And so far, all he sees is that life has given him bad stuff. Heartache. I lost Rachel. I lost Joseph. Coming close to losing Benjamin. Things just aren't going right for me. He sees life always giving him bad stuff. But if Joseph is alive, I'll see him. It is enough. Life has finally given me something. It is enough. I'm going to take you to some other words. Someone else had three words that they said. Jesus said, it is finished. He didn't look for what he would get out of life. He looked for what he could bring to it. What a difference it makes to be a Jacob or to be a Jesus. One is looking for it to be enough. The other is looking to finish something. Where do you suppose Joseph falls in this picture? 
I see him more on the side of it is finished. I did what God asked me to do. How about you? Where would you fit on this? Would you fit on the side that life has, has life given me enough? Has life given me what happiness I seek? Or am I looking for my time here to accomplish something to where I can say it is finished? Are we on the side of getting enough or are we on the side of finishing something? I'd far rather be on the side of a Joseph who is finishing something than on a Jacob who received enough finally at the end of his life. Father, I thank you for our lives. It may seem like, as it did for Joseph, that boy, we're getting handed an awful lot of things that just aren't, don't seem to be good. But Joseph was not one who looked at life to bring him enough. He was one of those who looked to finish what God wanted him to start. And so he kept pressing in despite all the hardship, all the tough things that came his life, the slavery, the imprisonment, the false accusation, the betrayal of the brothers, the hard life that he lived, having nothing for all those years. But he pursued the purpose of God. And he saw, I was sent ahead. God sent me here to preserve you. I went through all of that to preserve you. That's where we want to be. We want to be finishers. In order to be a finisher, we have to be a seeker. We've got to be one who pursues the purpose that God has. God won't always jump out at us, but if we seek after you, it will come to us. We'll see it. It may be like it was for Joseph. It didn't come in the dreams and the visions. It came in the pursuit. Help us, Father, as we pursue you. That we become more than people who look for enough out of life. Become the people that will finish what you gave us. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.